Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. Uh, this week I got a chance to catch up with Venki Venkateswaran. Venki works on client security strategy and roadmap planning at Intel, my former employer. Uh, we got a chance to talk about the importance of transparency in security communications and how that helps to drive assurance and uh, things across the board in the security program. We talked a little bit about Venki, Venki's career in cybersecurity, and more importantly, about some of the security technologies being built and provided by Intel to enable all kinds of things in security. So uh, this was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Venki, welcome to the show. Uh, in a short, Jiffy, what does that title mean? What do you do at Intel? Well, um, so uh, I, I'm responsible for our security strategy, which is basically uh, determining what kind of security investments we want to make. Uh, and in my role, I'm responsible for uh, driving security investments for the silicon, as well as, uh, you know, what we do with our partners and things like that, you know, over the five-year horizon, for example. Right. Uh, how did you get into the security space? I mean, you've been at Intel for close to 25 years, 23, 24 yep. years. How did you, like, where did you start and how did you wend your way to security? I find people's careers is very fascinating to me how folks end up in cybersecurity, especially folks who got into tech without like a specific cybersecurity background or cybersecurity education that, that wasn't, ex wasn't even available uh, 20 years ago. Correct. Um, so uh, my entry into uh, security is uh, accidental, I would want to say. Um, my uh, early love, uh, I want to say, is, is uh, uh, databases, business intelligence, data warehousing. So I spent about 10 years at Intel, um, you know, doing uh, data warehousing and databases and other interesting stuff around, uh, you know, driving decisions and stuff like that. Uh, and then one fine day, uh, my boss came to me and said, you know, hey, there is this thing called security. And, you know, you, you have been, you have spent a bunch of time in IT. Uh, why don't you actually think about how you can bring the IT expertise to bring some of that over to our product team so that you know we can actually build products that uh, IT would want to use. I said, well, right. that's a brilliant idea, but I don't know anything about security. He said, well, then you are the right man. So, uh, and this journey started 15 years ago. Well, what, what did the security landscape look like at the time? Because I, I, I know I've been writing about security for the, like 10, 15, 20 years. And it's fascinating to me to watch, just let's use desktop computing as an example. Uh, you know, the, the evolution of Windows as an operating system and the security posture of Windows pre-Vista XP service back to, to Vista through where we are today and the evolution of, you know, everything going to the cloud, all these cloud services. When you look back at stumbling into security accidentally 15, 20 years ago, uh, did you ever imagine uh, what the industry would look like now? And are there things that surprise you uh, over these years that maybe hasn't been solved yet or that has impressed you over the years, over this last 15, 20 years? I, I think uh, the, the landscape today is pretty drastically different than when I, when I first started. However, uh, there are certain things that you can actually see, you know, a glimmer of, uh, you know, how things could move. And essentially, uh, one such thing is virtualization. So when I started, virtualization was a server technology. And uh, in the early parts, when we were shipping our first vPro, for example, we actually shipped with the hypervisor 
And some of the security issues that we were seeing at that point in time, we thought we can actually better solve with solving it with a hypervisor and a security appliance embedded in a hypervisor and so on and so forth. It, it feels like you know we have come full circle now with VBS and all these other things that are happening now. Maybe we were just 15 years too early or something for that idea. Right. Intel is a very, I mean, I, full disclosure to the audience, I worked at Intel for about two years and I worked on some of the cybersecurity uh, uh, relationship and response with the rest of the security industry. Um, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but Intel been through a little bit of a hiccup a few years ago with the meltdown spectra issue. And it 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 has kind of put you in a place at a company where where credibility and transparency of conversations become super important. It's been fascinating for me to watch Intel kind of take the lead and be as, as transparent and upfront about uh, their own investments, your own investments in security, especially around vulnerability research. And I know your 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 team, your they put out some data on how many bugs are internally found in these big batch batches. Can you talk a little bit about coming out of Meltdown Spectra, what has been done and how? Uh, you know, Intel has long invested in security and has treated security as a top priority. However, you know, as the threat landscape changed, you know, Meltdown Inspector basically just reminded us of uh, how faster we need to be, you know, switching to address those, uh, you know, threat vectors. So uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, when, when you basically have an issue, it is not about whether you're knocked down to the ground. It is about how you're going to be rising up. Right, and uh, from an Intel perspective, that actually rallied the entire company. Um, and you know, we we put together this uh, group uh, that that actually uh, was driving our security strategies uh, and and uh, you know, increasing security assurance activities like 10x, I would say, uh, than what we were. So essentially, there was a significant amount of investments that we put in. And it is not just enough to say, you know, hey, just take my word for it in terms of the good work that I'm doing, but it is also more paramount that we actually are more transparent about the issues that you're having and how you are basically addressing it. Uh, all the proactive work that we are doing is basically increasing the, the security of the product, but however, it is very important to make sure you're being transparent about what issues you're finding how you are finding those issues and you know be transparent about what that is with the with the broader ecosystem so you'll see us basically talk more about some of the issues that we have key learnings that we have and and be more transparent with the community and and we want to embrace the security research community uh, because you know there's no way intel alone can actually uh, you know improve the security of our products and the broader community that we have up there is basically right. a significant part of the strategy. One of the things I notice as well is like a, 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 a visible increase in technical documentation for security research community coming out of Intel. Uh, it's always been a it's always been a sore topic among security researchers saying you know Intel doesn't communicate or Intel doesn't document things well. And I've noticed an effort to maybe not necessarily change it, but I've noticed an effort. It's, it's been visible. Some, addition, some, some some new documentation. Is that a deliberate strategy? Can you talk a little bit about why that's important and what it means? It is a deliberate strategy. Um, the The more important thing is, uh, you know, the, if you if you basically are out there giving people the right set of data, they're not going to go and chase rumors or wrong set of data, and that creates a lot more 
you know headaches if you will to kind of unwind some of those things rather right. than you being transparent and uh, you know be the first to uh, you know provide owning your message right well yeah, exactly and from an intel perspective you'll see cs do a lot more of that uh, in terms of talking about our security assurance talking about our security ips we want to demystify some of these things uh, the the strategy of security by obscurity basically might have existed at one point in time but that's not the strategy that uh, you know we want to follow uh, there's been a lot of i, I, I want to get into uh, vpro and intel hardware shield because that's your that's your sweet spot and your area of expertise around how the role of hardware as a player in the, in, in in the protection and the defense mechanism can you talk a little bit about um Before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about firmware security. It's top button issue. Microsoft has put out their own data. There's all kinds of um, anxieties around uh, securing the layer before the, below the operating system, especially around firmware. When you hear or you see a lot of these news stories about the volume of firmware-related attacks spiking, is that something that's believable? Is that something you're seeing as well? And and can you give me, from Intel's perspective, what's the state of play in firmware security space? there are there are two ways of looking at that uh, data um if if you are an it shop you are still encumbered by you know the large majority of so, you know software issues that you deal with either operating system related or application related or driver related or you know a bunch of other things that is your preoccupation however you know uh, as as vendors you know intel and our partners we need to basically figure out where the puck is going to go and in our view uh, as you close the 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 doors people are going to come after the windows uh, no pun intended uh, no right so, right i get it so so essentially you know they they either go lower uh, or they find the next weakest link in the in the process so protecting and what, just just let me let me interrupt you there and let's let's settle here for a second for the most part uh, firmware and hardware is kind of skated by because there is a lot more ho- low hanging fruit at top right um and and i mean i had this conversation with a journalist we were talking about how do we set the trap to see if you know high profile journalists going through airport would get firmware implantation and they said you know the journalist said to me why would i even worry about that like these guys can break into 10 other things before they have to go all the way down here so for a while we kind of skated by do you get a sense that that's changing now though where there's a lot more Uh, attacker eyeball in that area a lot more red team type of eyeball around that that's starting to document a lot more weaknesses in that area that that maybe is the reason for a lot of the anxieties and do you share those anxieties around firmware security being kind of like a weak link um, i i i i i do think that there is work to be done in the in the firmware security space um, but i think there's also a lot more work that needs to be done in the in the software uh you know os app and other layers above as well so right. i think we need to be working on both areas and when we when we get to uh you know the intel hardware shield that you want to talk about you'll see what our strategy is i think there are multiple layers here and we need to be investing and closing the the loop uh and the holes loopholes and uh you know all of those stack areas uh not just you know say firmware versus OS versus applications. I think there's going to be investment needed across the board when you think about right. platforms. Uh Intel hardware shield is kind of like a catch-all phrase describing hardware-based technologies that can be used as defensive mechanisms. Is that a fair way to describe it? And you know, it's pretty fascinating as we discuss firmware security and and you know securing hardware. 
it's really fascinating that hardware itself has a role to play in providing security to enterprises or providing security on the top. Give me the give me the elevator pitch for Intel Hardware Shield on Intel vPro. What is it? What does it mean? And then we can dig into you know what it does solve. You know, at the highest level, Intel Hardware Shield basically is a basket of security technologies that you can ever possibly get in an Intel platform. It is a collection of all things security, and this is like your all-inclusive deal, right? right. Uh, when you when you're thinking about security, you basically get all of that. There are some important elements to it that uh, you know we'll basically dive more on, which is around you know uh, where uh, you know providing security for below the OS versus you know the OS app and uh, you know uh, the the application data space, protection, right? Data protection, and then you basically have the threat protection vector that we are also driving as well. So when when it comes to security, we actually have a uh, you know much broader strategy where. Uh, you know, there are four key players that needs to come together to deliver security on Windows platforms, which is, you know, you can think of uh, the OEMs being one of them, uh, you know, OSPs like Microsoft being one of them, and then there are security and application developers, and then the silicon providers. You know, we all need to be working together to deliver this. And what Intel Harbor Shield enables is basically for these parties to come together. So right. we basically have technologies that actually assist all these players. So that's basically what Intel Harbor Shield will provide. Let's dig into them one by one. Below the OS security, it's provided by the BIOS and boot flow protection technology. What exactly does this offer to an enterprise? The most important thing about a platform is you know, the hardware and that's the foundation. It is not just right. about an Intel Silicon in this, in this scenario, it is the entirety of the platform. So when you're thinking about the platform, there are variety of other chips that might be in the platform uh, other than Intel. Uh, there is uh, a bunch of uh, other firmware that basically runs uh, you know, in this environment. So uh, primarily what, what, this, uh, what this means is we actually work with our uh, OEM partners um, like the Dell, HP, Lenovo's of the world. And we also work with uh, you know, uh, Microsoft who provides the OS. And we want to make sure the handshake between uh, the platform bring up where, you know, this is what we call as the pre-boot, right? So where, you know, you have your BIOS and everything else booting up. And then there is a handshake where you're basically handing off that control over to the operating system. And we want to make sure that handshake is as seamless as possible and as secure as possible. So the technologies that you're going to see in this blow the OS is basically to ensure that there is BIOS protection and there is, uh, you know, resiliency. Should there be an issue with BIOS, how do you basically make sure you're, it's taken care of? And also, when you have a hypervisor on OS basically launching, how do you make sure that is not being compromised by a high-privileged, uh, you know, firmware like BIOS or other things? Uh, and and essentially, uh, the end customer data is eventually protected. So this is the handshake process that we are trying to orchestrate with that. Can you talk a little bit about the Intel firmware update recovery component in there? Because I think this is a hot button topic for my audience right now. Okay, so uh, people basically are super worried about updating firmware. I think you know if you talk to any uh, IT shops, you know many IT shops that I talk to, they don't actually update their BIOS on an ongoing basis. They don't update it like you know, how, how often they update their operating system or applications or other types of things. And the primary reason is a lot of people don't understand it. I think that is, that is one important issue. 
And the other thing is, in the past, they might have had situations where when they tried to update the BIOS, they ended up breaking their system. So what we want to do is we want to provide mechanisms that allows our customers to update with confidence. You know, it is, it is one thing for Intel to put in all that effort that we talked about around security assurance and coming up with fixes and things like that. Uh, but if our customers are afraid to take it because right. they then might potentially the purpose, you know, right? have a everything, problem. And, everything has to be seamless and clean from end to end, right? Exactly. And, and uh, the, the firmware update process that we are thinking about is how do you make sure if there is some issue, maybe your power went out in the middle when you're basically trying to you know, update your, uh, your, your BIOS, how do you recover from those scenarios? That is basically what the, the firmware update process is about. We want to make it easier. We want to make it resilient, where if there is an issue, you're able to kind of recover from it. And, and number three, we want to make sure it is the valid firmware that is running. And if, if it's not the valid firmware, there is a mechanism for you to recover to a known good image. So that's the that's the option there. Out of all these below the OS components, which ones are the most popular? Which one has gotten the most uptake among the people it's intended for? I, I think uh, the the uptake that we are seeing, and again, uh, you know, thanks to our partner um, Microsoft on this, uh, is basically around um, the technology we have called TXT. Um, this is the, the the technology that allows you to. Uh, uh, measured launch of hypervisors and things like that. And ever since Microsoft actually made virtualization a key part of their operating system, uh, you know, uh, and, and also delivering security through virtualization, through their VBS and other scenarios, it is super important for us to, uh, you know, have capabilities that actually protect that from lower level threats. Right. So uh, there is a you know, significant number of uptick, you know, in many of the customers that I talk to, that is one of the main things that they ask me about in terms of, you know, how they can leverage this, uh, you know, TXT, for example, uh, and, and also the SMM protections that we have in our platforms so that they can actually be assured that uh, they have a more protected, uh, you know, virtualized environment. You mentioned application and data protection as part of com- uh, technology components within Intel Hardware Shield. Where, where, where do you do application and data protection? At what, at what, what stage? Um, so the the application data protection bucket, if you will, um, it it is it is more targeted towards our OSV partners, uh, which is you know people like Microsoft, Google, and and the likes, uh, and also uh, you know some of the ISV partners as well. So essentially, when you're when you're looking at um, uh, application data protection, virtualization and the capabilities to make virtualization impact reduced is basically a significant part of the, the the strategy. So you will see many of the technologies that enable virtualization to be to work in an efficient way in, in PCs uh, as part of this bucket. So that is you know one part of the, the application production that we bring in. The other part is all around encryption. And uh, you know all the crypto functions that basically have as part of our you know, CPUs for many years actually fall into that bucket. Uh, you know, this is things like AES and I and other things that we have had for several years in our platform. So these things actually also fall into uh, you know uh, the, the the that particular bucket. And and you know, no, no, I was gonna I was gonna pivot to the advanced threat detection because that's the piece that I'm 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 a little more familiar with, and the I think it's gonna be a lot. It resonates a lot more with like the direct audience because they can feel it, and we're in the midst of a massive ransomware epidemic. 
your Intel Threat Detection Technology is hardware that does what? Okay, so uh, there are two parts to the uh, Intel Threat Detection Technology. It is not, you know, I would I would probably call it the Advanced Threat Protection. Okay. So what we mean by that is there is an element of protection or prevention, and there is an element of detection. So I'll come to both parts. Right. Uh, and and this basically goes back to the control for enforcement technology that you talked about. So and the customer uh, for this again is these OSV partners, right? The, these this is OSV partners as well in as in addition to some other third party third party security providers, if you will. Right. Right. They so are, like they they, they big EDR vendors and some of these guys. That's Correct. the intended audience for this. Okay. You got it. You got it. Um, so when when you when you look at uh, the threat detection technology, one of the things that we want to do is we want to basically be able to prevent large classes of attacks. So eliminating a large bug classes, if you will, is a super important thing. And this is one of the key motivations behind Intel delivering, you know, Intel control for enforcement technology. So, uh, you know, detection is basically happening after the fact, you know, the, 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 the malware is already in. What we want to do is we want to be able to prevent it from, from happening in the first place, but we don't want to basically have point solutions for this. We want to basically try to target the bigger bug classes so that you know you, you eliminate You're eliminating things at scale. Mechanisms. Right. Correct. Exactly right. And then the second part of this is you know we know that you cannot actually prevent all the bug classes. So for that, wouldn't it be great if you had a quick way of figuring out or detecting when something is happening? For example, when you're basically trying to, uh, uh, you know, if a, if a crypto miner is basically hijacked your system and there is a crypto jacking happening, uh, you know, there's large volumes of that kind of activity happening on your system. And the hardware has a lot of visibility into many of those, uh, you know, lower level instructions, if you will. So you can actually harness the data from that to make some intelligent decisions and you can apply a models to that and so on and so forth to figure out you know is there something fishy going on here so essentially right. you can you can you can get that insight from lower level you know hardware counters if you will uh, you know to see if there is a ransomware attack in progress you know hey is ryan's you know uh, pc getting encrypted in in volume because ryan right. typically doesn't go and encrypt you know gigabytes of data uh, so if something like that is happening, you know, you can basically flag it. Uh, and the other aspect is a lot of people don't want to do scanning of, you know, for malware often because it kind of sucks up, you know, performance. So what we want to do is we want to basically figure out are there ways we can offload some of this to a GPU or other accelerators that we might have uh, to, to kind of, you know, let the people have their cake and also eat it, right? That's basically right, the right, idea. Right. So we want to minimize the impact so if you look at the threat detection, it basically falls into uh, advanced threat detection, that is, or th- threat protection. It falls into three categories. One is basically uh, the prevention mechanisms, eliminating a, you know, large-scale attacks. The second part of it is basically uh, in the detection mechanisms using you know, low-level counters and things like that. And the third part of it is basically to be able to offload so that you're not paying the price uh, you know, for having to run this. Can we linger on each just for a few seconds? Sure. Uh, the the first one, this software protection mechanism, it's it's really interesting and unique anti-exploit uh, roadblock or mitigation, so to speak. This Intel CET. What has been the optic since Intel made it available? I know it's it, it, you know again you guys provide it, but it has to be 
kind of taken up and I've seen some activities in browsers. Can you talk a little bit about what has happened around CET since the announcement? Yeah. Um, so the interesting part about CET is it is actually built into Windows. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you probably saw the announcement from uh, you know, our partners around hardware stack protection. Mm-hmm. So hardware-based stack protection is a technology that they that they announced. So when when you're thinking about CET and when you're thinking about drop attacks, uh, there is a large surface area within Windows itself that you need to protect. And that's exactly what Microsoft has done with their hardware stack protection by protecting certain binaries that uh, you know they had to protect within Intel. So out of the box, when you when you basically get to the the uh, latest version of Windows, you get that protection out of the box. So right. if you upgrade it to the latest version of Windows, you already have some of that protection. Having said that, you also need to go after a lot of the other code that might exist in majority of PCs. For example, the browsers and things like that. You right. probably where, saw some of the... Right, where, where memory safety and some of the same types of buffer overflows, memory corruption, things that Intel CET is meant to mitigate is the bulk of security vulnerabilities popping up in data points, right? I mean, it... it in in addition to Microsoft, these third parties that you're talking about, there is a big problem to be solved there around memory safety for uh, uh, memory corruption vulnerabilities, right? The the memory corruption is basically a broader topic. And the the area that uh, CET helps you with is basically around control flow attacks. And essentially, you know, in that area, you get uh, significant mitigation and you need to have your partners, you know, leverage it. There is a, there is, uh, you know, ever since we launched, there is more and more partners that have come out and talked about, uh, you know, having support for CET, and you'll only right. see that increase going forward. So essentially, right. that's going to be uh, a critical aspect. But when you look at memory corruption, there is actually work to be done there, and that is, you know, it, there there's is a, a class broader... of vulnerabilities that have caused problems for security for the last 15, 20 years, right? Correct, and and uh, you know, that is basically going to be the next frontier for you know where we as an industry need to come together, and again. I don't want to. I don't want to say you know CET happened just because of Intel. Uh, it it actually is a very strong partnership with the broader ecosystem, right? Uh, and our you know key partners uh, that actually uh, made it happen. So it's a multi-year effort uh, to go make it happen, and we all need to come together. You know that this is the right answer for this problem, and we basically all make the investments to to make it happen. And uh, I'm I'm super proud of the work that uh, both Intel and also our partners have done to enable CET, and we we actually should be working towards you know doing more of this for other bug classes as well. And you'll see us basically working towards that in the future. Fantastic. And the last one, the Intel TDT, the threat detection technology. It's taken on a uh, you, there's a there's a focus on evangelizing the importance of this silicon level telemetry to help with the ransomware scourge. Can you talk a little bit about the ransomware detection component, crypto mining ransomware detection component of TDT and the importance of that within the ecosystem we're in? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we all know about the, the recent ransomware attacks that actually crippled critical infrastructure and things like that. So it's, it's a real problem that, uh, you know, we have. And what we want to do is we want to actually assist the, the security vendors that actually are, you know, the defenders of the galaxy, if you will, right? And what we want to do is we want to give them as much early information of something fishy happening at the lower levels. So when 
there is an anatomy of a ransomware attack that you can actually get into and essentially you can you can figure out that there is certain behavior that is deemed normal and there are certain behaviors that are abnormal and we have you know we we captured that low level information and we basically have a models that actually go and look at you know whether there is an anomaly to be uh, you know raised or not and and these models have been trained in many of these things so that you know you 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 try to increase the efficacy of these models to kind of figure out and tell the difference between you know is ryan basically trying to encrypt a important document versus a ransomware trying to kind of encrypt the entire hard drive right so right. these so are your things telemetry that, can deduce that and report exactly it. right so what we do is we have that and those those uh, you know a models would basically do the in- inference and then it basically will you know alert the 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 security solutions if you will right uh, in many cases if it's a known issue uh, or a known binary that is trying to do it you have the the traditional mechanisms of you know looking for signatures and all these things and you can actually you know figure out and stop these things where it really shines is the models can actually detect uh, irrespective of whether it's a known binary or not it basically looks for the actions or the behavior so if you have behavior if you exhibit behavior that is actually dubious then the model can alert and then that becomes part of the database for for the the security vendor software to be able to uh, recognize that in the future and and it can also stop something that is not seen before and that's the beauty of ai i'm super excited about you know the possibilities that ai brings to uh, solving security problems and at the same time you know there are also challenges that we have in terms of protecting the ai models themselves so uh, it's an interesting space that uh, you know um, we we are we are looking at in a time when telemetry is king i mean data and telemetry is feeding uh, uh, into all these data lakes and make helping people power like important decisions right you are sitting on hardware telemetry that is the, the rarest of rare uh, can you talk a little bit about optic for tdt who's taking it on what's the intended audience and how can folks figure how can folks uh, uh, communicate and contact and deal with intel um so um uh you know in in terms of uh, there are a bunch of ongoing discussions that are happening uh in the space uh you will be hearing more about it uh you know coming up from our partners so i don't want to kind of uh you know preempt right, right. some of but that but these are all these are all things these that all, have to be enabled by partners right these are these are all so when you when you think about things from intel we basically are enablers of right, of right. you're not uh, selling you know, security technology we're directly not, to a consumer not, right correct so the you know we're not actually selling a package solution to somebody on this uh, it, this is not our business so you know we sell cpus right so essentially what we want to do is you know um, you you the the security vendors basically can take advantage of it and make their products better in terms of being able to uh, you know uh, detect these uh, advanced threats faster all right uh, we're at the half hour mark we'll I'll let you out of here with one last question Uh, what bits of technology innovation in security anywhere intel anywhere else excites you the most is there you know cuz we we tend to become very pessimistic as the longer you spend in security you get this kind of defeatist mentality it's it's you know you read headlines and news of breaches and ransomware attacks and it feels defeatist but at the same time like you just described there's so much real innovation and investments happening around security outside of what you guys are working on is there an area or a place that we can leave the folks with a good feeling that there's uh, you know some solid investment happening around security 
I, I think, uh, you know, uh, using security, I mean, AI for security is one area that uh, truly excites me. Uh, and there is a lot of interesting work happening across many companies. Uh, you know, recently I was watching some of the things that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tesla was doing in the space uh, for their cars. I mean, if you think about the the uh, situation that they are in, I mean, they're making AI, they're using AI to make uh, life and death, you know, decisions to a certain degree. Uh, and uh, some of the things that goes into it is totally fascinating. And there's a bunch of things that, you know, everybody can learn from, yeah. uh, you know, some of the work that is happening in that space. So to me, I think, uh, you know, leveraging AI uh, and, and there's more and more AI specific hardware that is coming to, you know, the PC ecosystem as well. So as we have those things, I think the, the uh, opportunity is endless in my view uh, on how you can deploy things that you possibly could not do today could right. become possible as we have those, you know, new hardware that actually can enable those more sophisticated AI models on the PC and applying those to go solve the traditionally hard security problems that yeah. exist today. One of the thing, one of the fascinating and amazing things about being at Intel is where you kind of you sit and you have a vision of the world five ten years out because that's the and and it there's a I don't know if you experienced this but when I was at Intel I struggled a little bit with it with like feeling like your work doesn't see the end the light of day until ten years out right or until five years out because it has to be enabled it has to do like all this uptick we talk about. Do you find it hard to remain optimistic within that, or is it super exciting for you to be part of like what the future of computing or what the future of security would look like? I think you know uh, I would have to say I'm super fortunate to be in a company like Intel, where I'm not here to predict the future. I'm here to create the future, and you know when you have like-minded partners that actually are willing to work with you. I mean, coming to work every day is super exciting where you can actually go and work with your partners, uh, you know, whether it is your OSV partners or your OEM partners to solve these hard problems. I think to me, that is the, the most exciting part. And everybody wants to, uh, you know, address these big challenges because everybody sees these things and uh, sees the opportunity. It's not like I need to go and convince them that, hey, security is an important thing for you to work on. They actually come knocking on my door to to help them solve these big problems. To me, that is the, the most exciting thing, you know, uh, working at Intel. And, and, and there's a said, it's always driven by a sense of optimism because you're always, like you said, you're always creating and building something new and exactly amazing. Right. Right? Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think it's, it's one of those uh, under-discussed part of uh, our security industry. So I'm very, very happy that you were so generous with your time. Thank you very much, and you have an open invitation to come back at any time. Yeah, thank you, Ryan. Really appreciate your uh, time as well.